Before we start, this episode contains content that might be triggering for some listeners. If that sounds like it might apply to you, do check the show notes for more details. Hello and welcome to Happy Place, the show that supports you in stripping back the facade and facing potentially uncomfortable home truths. Today, I'm meeting former footballer Paul Merson. I accept that I'm ill. I'm not a bad person. I used to think I was a horrible, horrible person. Now I accept that I wasn't well and I'm not well and I'm trying to get well. When I did go back and I gambled again, I didn't beat myself up. I didn't beat myself up in lockdown when I had a bad relapse over a year ago. I didn't beat myself up. You know, I thought, you know, I'm not well. Paul was an incredibly successful footballer for 21 years, most notably playing for Arsenal and England. And to anyone glancing in from the outside, he probably looked like he was living the dream. But Paul's now written a book, Hooked, which explains that he wasn't just living the playful party lifestyle we might expect from sports stars and celebrities. He actually had a number of debilitating addictions to alcohol, drugs and gambling. As we talk about in this chat, gambling especially is an addiction that really isn't understood, that somehow it's harder for people to empathise with. I have to say I learned so much from reading Paul's book and from talking to him, and I really hope you do too. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, let's do it. This is the show. Hello, Paul. Hi, hello, Fern. Paul, it's so nice to meet you um, over Zoom. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Hopefully we'll meet soon. This is the weird world that we're in at the moment. But um, I'm really, really glad that I get to talk to you today because I, I loved reading your book. Oh, and thank you. I thought it was very raw and poignant and mostly very, very helpful. Did you find it helpful for yourself to write? Because, you know, surely self-reflection and self-awareness is such a key part of of healing and recovery yeah I've, i found it a bit sad really writing it because I, I only wrote it really for one person that was someone out there who doesn't have to go through what i've gone through and it, whether it be a a lady or a man or a, a young lad or a young woman or a partner or a wife or a husband it's a horrible thing to go through if he doesn't know you you're not well you just think you're a horrible person and looking back and writing it, it was quite sad because it was like, I've done this for that long and I just it's never dropped. It's never been able to get to the bottom of it. And now at 53, I sort of understand it a lot more than what I did. I know the saying is, oh, you know, if we all knew what we knew now at 21, we'd be, wow. But that's not the case. It's it's a horrible addiction's a horrible thing. And I, I just I, I just wrote it for one person that might read this 
or their partner might sit there and go, you know what? He doesn't hate me or she doesn't hate me. She doesn't do it on purpose. She does it or he does it because they're not well. And that's what it is and just not well. Yeah, I I learned a lot from this book, from reading your insights and you'll undoubtedly help way more than one person. It's going to be a whole <laughs> of people who this will resonate with. And, and what you've just talked about, I... When I was reading the book, I, I, I underlined that section that you've just talked about, the importance of recognising the difference between being unwell, you know, being mm. having a mental illness versus just being a bad person. Mm. And that is such an important part of the book because so often with all sorts of mental health issues, we in the moment don't recognise it. We don't see it for whether it's uh, depression, OCD, anxiety, addiction, whatever it might be. We just think there's something wrong with me, Um, I'm a bad person, I'm getting life wrong, I'm messing up, which of course just keeps the cycle of whatever you're in going. Do you think if you had known that, you know, we've just talked about that being not particularly helpful, but if you had known that you were ill at the time, that you would have had a lot more self-compassion? I think so, because as you say, it's like like a merry-go-round. I drink a lot, don't come home, I gamble my money away, lose everything. I feel terrible. I'm a bad person. I tell you what will get me out of that. Have another drink. Have another bet. And then and it's just a, a cycle, a cycle like that. Uh, I think it's so important that people understand it's an, it, it is an illness. It is an illness. If you, had, if you had a nut allergy, you wouldn't eat nuts. You wouldn't eat nuts. And I think that's, that's, the, that's the thing with it is really understanding because that is the thing. When people drink, you know, I never went out. I never went out to the pub with the intentions of not coming home. Never. I never went out and thought, yeah, oh, yeah, all right, I'll see you at 10, thinking I ain't coming home. But as soon as I had that drink inside me, I couldn't tell you what time I was getting home. I just couldn't tell you. you know, I'd, I'd even go out with shorts and flip-flops on because I'd think, right, I'm not, I've got to come home now. I can't end up in a club if I've got shorts and flip-flops on. It's impossible. But I still would. I still would because who I was, I would get in. You know, and I'd hate myself for it. I think, why? I love my wife. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing it? And that, and that was the thing. And then when I hate myself, you know what? I'll do it again tomorrow because it makes me feel all right. It takes me away from my feelings. And the problem is, Fern, is when I went into treatment, the two times I went in, I was made to go in. I, I didn't go in for me. So when you go in for someone else, like the FA or the football club, you, you, you're not widening because you're thinking, oh, I'm going to do it again anyway. So what's the point in listening? You know, now I understand now at 53, I understand, which is, which is a bit sad if I'm being honest. No, it's not. I don't, because they, what, you know, there should never be a sort of a timeline that that's the correct way to do recovery. It's your own, it's your yeah. own experience, isn't it? And, and there is no one way to recover. And, you know, I, I haven't dealt with addiction, so I I have a different understanding. I'm gathering this information secondhand from you know the likes of of you reading your brilliant book, or you know my husband who's in recovery, and we talk about it a lot. And my understanding is that you know you never properly recover and heal. Like oh, I'm fixed now. This is something that you live with and you manage daily. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, yeah, I put that in my book. I mean, this is not going away. It's there. I mean, if you turn around to me or someone turned around to me now and said, you're not allowed to have a drink or take drugs or gamble for the rest of your life, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I'd just say absolutely impossible. I might as well go back now and have a blast because I can't do that. But I can do it today. 
I can do it today. And I've had times when it's get through the next half an hour, get through the next hour, and then it will pass. But I was only saying sad in like I've had to go through all this for 36 years of my life. And that's you miss out on so much. You know, people go, oh, how much money did you lose? How much? It wasn't the money. It was time. I lost time. I lost time. You know, you lose being with the kids, doing good things, you know, all you're worried about. You know, I've been Disney. I dread to know how many times I've been Disney, how many times I've been. I've been there an hour, hour, and I'll be gone. I, let's go. I can't, you know, the, the bar's opening at the hotel in a minute or the baseball's starting or, and it's just, you it become very, very, very selfish. And I'm not that person. You know, I, there's a kid on Instagram who, who wrote to me struggling with gambling. I text him now on Instagram, how are you? You know, and he'll come back and go, no, I've been struggling, started betting again, but I'm, I'm back doing well now. And I, I'm like, just keep on going. Don't worry, keep on going. Don't give yourself a bad. I don't know him from Adam, but I know if I'm drinking or gambling, I have no interest at all. But when I'm not, I, I, like, I think of him, I think, see how he is. And I don't know. If he was sitting next to me now, I wouldn't know who he was. And that's, you know, that's the difference. It's took me to 53 to have that kind of, that kind of life. Because people go to me, oh, my God, what's your life like? You don't drink, don't gamble. My first thing was like, how boring is this going to be? And it's been a hundred times better. You know, been better hard days, but it's just been a hundred times better my life. You know, my wife, my family life's a hundred times better. The kids are more happy. It's just a you know snowball effect. So you haven't had a drink for what a couple of years yeah, now. Yeah, you haven't it gambled in a year. Years on January the sixth, and just over a year on gambling now. Just over a year. It was the twenty seventh of August. And, and it seems from reading the book that there have been moments where you really have allowed yourself to revel in the absolutely you know blissful normality of yeah. going to home base on a Saturday. Yeah. Like that for you is like I'm in home base and I'm doing something very normal and that's that those small moments are huge and should be celebrated and and marked in some way oh yeah i mean to being you know if i'm not working on if i'm not working if i'm not playing football i wasn't on soccer saturday on a saturday i had the weekend off i'm in all day gambling gambling and drinking that is that is the bn and end all there's nothing else home base would not in a million years and if i did which I didn't, but I would be there at 10 o'clock in the morning to get it over and done with in 10 minutes. You know, I put a slide up, a little house for, for Sienna, one of my little girls, like in lockdown. That is major thing for me, major. I mean, before, that would still be in the box a year later. A year later, it would still be in the box. It was just, I had no patience. I, I, I just didn't care. I just didn't care. I, there was more important things to be doing. So let's go way, way back to when you first noticed that there was a, a discomfort as a young man, when you, you felt there was a shyness, you felt there was some anxiety and your initial idea to, to help with that and to help boost your confidence when you were in a social setting was alcohol. That felt like the thing, like the magic cure for you that, that got you out of that shyness, right? 100%. 100%. I mean, I was a shy insecure kid when I was you know I didn't like change I used to get palpitations on a football pitch as soon as I had a drink I mean I, I went out with a girl 15 years of age for a month I never kissed her once I was petrified I thought if I go to kiss her and she says no 
you know, that'll be it. And so with not taking that chance, I knew no different. And that's, that's how, that's how insecure I was. That is to that. But soon as I had a drink, wow. Like completely Jekyll and Hyde, like chatting to everybody, you know, having a laugh, having a joke. You know, I still find it difficult today. I mean, people, someone, I'd be in a place and someone would go, oh my God, you're brilliant. You're a legend. You're a great player. And I, I'm like, I've just learned to go, thank you. Before I'd go, no, I'm not. No, 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 please don't. Because I think if you knew what I was doing away from here, you, you'd think I was one horrible, horrible person. You know, not coming home, losing all our money or losing all our savings, you know. And now I can say, thank, I just say thank you. You know, I, it's their opinion. And I just say thank you. But it's took... It's still hard. It's still even now talking then and saying it, it still doesn't doesn't sit comfortable. I, I walk into rooms or I'm in a room, and I had a good career. Don't get me wrong for that, you know. And I played for big clubs and won a lot of stuff. But I in rooms sometimes, and I see someone walking and they bowl in and they're all chirpy and they're bubbly, and I and I'm like, I could never be like that. I never, I, you know. And I think you you were shit footballer as well. And you're still like that. And it's like, <laughs> but it's like, it's good. It's really, it's good, really. And I can't, I just don't get that. I just don't, I find it, I find, I still find it hard to be, you know, I'm very humble, very humble. I'm, I'm Yeah. I just can't, I just never got from day one coming off a council estate and being a professional footballer. I just, I couldn't distance myself. I was still that boy. And I still haven't grown up very, I still have terrible things. I mean, people say when you, when you start drinking and gambling, taking drugs, that's the age you are when you stop. And I do feel sometimes I am like a, a 15, 16-year-old in a 53-year-old's body. Definitely. Yeah, I feel like that all the time. I mean, in a, in, not in a man's body, but I, I yeah. certainly feel very often like I got a bit stuck at about 18 and I sometimes think I'm turning 40 this week and I keep thinking, am I meant to feel 40? Because I don't yeah. feel it at yeah. all. And then one of my mates was like, just don't worry about it. Just just go like that's That youthful sort of young energy and thinking can actually be quite handy. But I know that um, people wouldn't necessarily think that I'm shy, but I do... I don't like going to big parties. I feel instantly overwhelmed and I don't like that moment when you have to walk into the room mm. and who's there and do I know anyone? And there is a huge discomfort. And usually, you know, you do reach for alcohol. That is sort of been so normalised, especially in British culture. That's such a, you know, you go to the pub, you have a drink. Mm. At what point did you notice it clicking from, I'm having this drink to loosen me up, to give me that confidence, to lose that edge into... I'm unstoppable. This is now just something where I'm on a, I'm just, I'm off. Uh, from from the very first drink, I never, I see all the way out from the very first drink. Wow. And from day one, but not knowing, I just thought I was one of the lads. People used to go, oh, he's yeah. a big drinker. And you play to it, you're like, oh, he never, you know, and I'd I'd be home in two or three days' time. I'd never come home. I never thought it was, un- I didn't think it was not normal. I didn't, I mean, Dave Seaman signed for Arsenal when I was about 21 years of age. And it, we was coming home one day from training. He dropped me off. He went, do you want to pop in the pub for a pint? I said, what, one? He went, yeah, just have a pint in the garden. It's boring. And I went, what's the point? I said, might as well have a Coke. I mean, if you're not going to stay and be out all night, what's the point in having one? And without knowing at the time, like, the alcoholic was there, I, I just... 
people laugh. Like, you know, he went back to training the next day and I'll hear what Merce said. And it was like, what's the matter with that? It was just the norm. That was the norm. What If you're going out, you're going, you know, you're, you're out, out. You know, I'd bring people. Yeah, exactly. I'd bring people up and go, you're coming out tonight. They don't come out till seven. And I go, I'm oh, not. Nah. <laughs> yeah. Don't bother. Don't bother. Who's next? Do you know what I mean? I, I, unless someone's coming all the way, that was it. And I only judged by my, how bad my drinking was by the front page of the papers. So I was on the front page of the papers and then it was bad. And it did. I mean, I, I, I dread to think how many times. And I used to say to George Graham, who's the manager at Arsenal, I'm just getting picked on all the time. It's always me. I'm always, why am I? And he said, sit in and watch telly and see if it's you. And it was so simple. Sit in and watch telly mm-hmm. and see if you're on the front page of the paper. Yeah. And, it, you know, you blame everybody else, but, you know, it was me. But there is, I think, you know, addiction usually does come hand in hand if you haven't started a journey of recovery. You know, it comes with denial that, you know, you, you're you a functioning, perhaps binge drinker, you like to have a good time, but recognising there's a problem, I guess, is too hard in the moment because you have to address the actual reality of the situation. And, you know, you say in the book that if you were on the pitch playing, you were fine. You were doing what you excelled at. You understood the language of football. You weren't in reality. But as soon as you were off the pitch, you felt you couldn't live with what's going on in your head. At that time, what what were your sort of thought processes? Was it Was it fear? Was it worry, anxiety, dark thoughts? What were you trying to escape? Well, all, all of them. I mean, it would be, Will that person sell a story next week? You know, I'd be thinking like what I did last week. If someone's the fact girl sells her story next week, I'm in big trouble. You know, I'd get, I'd, I'd want to kill myself. I constantly wanted to kill myself, just pull in front of a lorry. At the time, you're thinking, I'm playing for the best club in England at the time, or one of the best clubs in England, definitely in London. I'm playing for England. I'm earning good money, and I want to kill myself. Now, who do you tell? Because if I tell someone, my brain's already told me, if I tell someone this, they're locking me up. They're putting me in a mental institution because that ain't normal. You know, and that, that's how scared I was. So I would just keep on drinking and gambling and just get myself out of it. My life's been like that the whole, the whole of my life. It's been up here or down here. I've never been there. This The only time I've ever been there is now. Like I've even played in front of 40,000 people scoring a goal or we lose, boom, or I'm winning loads of money and everything's great. And the only thing with the gambling is there's no in-between with the gambling. You, you have drink and drugs, you come, you come off it and it's a bit of a slow thing and you're coming off, coming down. With the gambling, you're up here, you're high as a kite, you're flying, you're winning loads of money. Literally 10 seconds later, you could be gone. The whole lot. Everything you've earned is just gone. Everything. And it's like, my God, that, there was no in between. It was just shoom. And like the other week, I was sitting on the sofa. And my wife, my wife Kate, went to me. She went, "What's wrong?" And I went, "No." She went, "Well, you just seem a bit down." I said, "Boring, isn't it?" And she went, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, it's just, just here. It's just like I'm not you. I haven't been used to that. It's either been buzzy, flying, or just got nothing. Like down. Where how do I get back up here again?" And she said, but it's better than when you were down there, wasn't it? And I said, yeah. And she went, it's not that bad then, is it? And it was just something so simple. But I've thrived to get to there and the normal life. And sometimes I find it, my brain will say, come on, Paul, you need more than this. 
And that's where it scares me. It, it, the, the addiction scares me to death. It still scares me today as I sit here because I know, I don't know if I can do it again. I don't know. It's just day at a time, like you said. And, and I don't think I really understood compulsive gambling until I read your book. I, I think I was really oblivious to the the compulsivity element of it. And so I thank you for that because I learned a hell of a lot from reading this book. And, you know, I want to have a better grasp and understanding of, of all the different situations that are playing out constantly, especially at such a tricky time that we're all living through where all of our mental health problems or things we've experienced are being really triggered at the moment. And what I picked up from on that subject matter is you weren't necessarily ever playing to win money. You were trying to suspend time and reality to live in that moment where you were waiting for the result. So that for you was like someone had pressed a pause button, like life pause. I'm in that delicious suspense of what's going to happen, perhaps teamed with an element of self-punishment because you're always going to play until you lose. Is that accurate? Yeah. I was spot on, 100%. Just played to keep on going. You know, if I won, it just prolonged it. It just prolonged. I, I, only, I only played it out till it got to zero. It always ended up at zero. You know, I could be so much money up, but I'd never take it. And if I took it, it'd be back in within a day or two. It was, it was just to get me out the way I felt. Everything I bet, I would never walk into a casino. Been in a casino probably three times, probably. It's too quick. I don't want that quick, quick. I need that like a cricket, a tennis, a golf, a rugby. Anything that's going to prolong the reality like of life, I want to be out of that. I just want to be in my own little bubble. I mean, many years ago, I mean, wow, I mean, Years and years ago, I remember winning about £30,000. And my mum, I was sitting at my mum and dad's and my mum went to me, she went, this was a long time ago, this was before the phones and the internet. And she went, you just won a lorry load of money. Why, why are you like that? And I went, there's nothing else to bet on now. Even then, I mean, it's like, with the compulsive gambling, I think people don't accept it like all the other addictions. There'll be people go. Like, what are you gambling for? You've got all the money in the world. You've had all the money. You've lost it all. It's not about the money. It's greedy. You're greedy. It's not about the money. It's about getting them out of, out of life. It's getting out of feelings. You know, I'm doing a BBC documentary at the moment about the brain and about all the addictions and compulsion this. And I, I talked to someone the other day, a meeting with someone, and he's, because people are watching, the, who are going to be watching the program or even reading this book won't be, hopefully they won't have a problem. But in perspective, it's like our brains are trained. So if you're hungry, your brain will tell you you're hungry and you'll eat. Or if if you're thirsty, your brain will tell you you're thirsty and you'll go and have a sip of water or you go. My brain is so set in that when I my brain will tell me to go and have a bet. And it's at the back of my head. It's not at the front where you rationalize things and things get rationalized and you go, well, that's not right. Don't do that mine's back here and that's where it's worrying that's where compulsive gambling you can hide compulsive gambling if i come on here today fern and i'd had 10 pints of lager before i'd done this when you went off you would say oh he's, he was a bit he sounded a bit weird i think he might have he might have been drinking but we're gambling you don't know 
It's, it's the worst addiction I've had. With the drugs, I had a year of it and it was like madness. I mean, and I know how bad it was and the, the, the paranoia and, and everything about it. And it sort of plugged in my head. I've been out and people have gone drawn a line and I know it's bad and it's plugged in. It's plugged. It, it's in there. My brain's there and it's plugged in. With the drinking, I've got that now where it seems plugged in. I know if I start drinking, I don't like drinking. I didn't like it. I didn't go into the pub and go, ah, that was nice. I just drunk to get me out the way I felt. And I know that I won't come home. I know I can't stop. I know all that stuff. And it's plugged in. With the gambling, it seems to be on a fuse. It seems to be on a fuse where it seems still flickering, where sometimes my addiction tells me, you can go back, you can win. And it scares me to death. And it's only every day I keep on going without a bet that hopefully that will get embedded in. But I still get days where I just feel it's flickering and it's... But I have so much block to not have a bet, it helps. I have a thing on my phone called Game Ban, which anything I put in my phone related to gambling blocks. My wife gives me pocket money, which is a massive help. I have no control over the money anymore, which at first... 50-odd years of age was a bit resentful. How dare you? I'm 50-odd. But I know I can't have money. And Gamblers Anonymous has been a big part of that as well, right? Yeah, massive, especially especially the Zooms as well. You know, I do meetings in LA all the time. You know, GA, you're around people who have been there. You know, I'm talking to people like in AA, in, in NA. You know, you tell a story. I could tell the public some stories and they, they'd hate me. I tell a story in GA or AA or NA and people are nodding, like to go, I've done that. I've done that. And that, that's, that's the comforting thing. And it's being around people that, that understand me because people who, who haven't got addictions, like people will go, why would you gamble? You, you earn like fortunes and they don't understand. And that's, it's being around people that understand and it's been a massive, yeah, I couldn't do it without GA. Well, you need a conversation where there's no judgment because as soon as you're judged, you're back into that loop of self-loathing. Oh. And that's why any sense of community, if you've got a mental health issue going on, is essential so that people, like you say, nod along with you rather than question you. And, and like you've touched on before, you know, there might be, well, there still is a huge lack of understanding when it comes to gambling and compulsivity and also a huge lack of empathy when it comes to people that do earn a lot of money. But like you say in the book, when you're on a massive wage packet, that problem is even bigger because you've got more to lose. You've got more money to gamble with and more to lose. So it's not like you're going to gamble and save a bit back. You're going to gamble so much money and it's endless and you can always go, I'll get paid again next week. So there's no cap to that problem almost. No, there isn't. But, you know, if if you're on £50,000 a week and you're losing 30000 a week and there's a milkman who's on £500 a week and he's losing £501 a week, he has a much bigger problem than you. So it's not really... It's, we, we never talk about money in GA. Never talk about money. And I think... The problem is, is with GA is like with gambling is everybody sort of understands the alcoholic because even if you're not a big drinker and you don't drink a lot and you haven't got a drinking problem, a lot of people have been drunk 
and they've had that, you know, where they they've like just gone and been drunk and done silly things or whatever. With gambling, there isn't. You know, people. There's not a lot of people that could sit around the table and go, "I had everything and I lost it all." But there's a lot of people that can go like, if I said I never, you know, when I went out drinking, I never went home. I, I just carried on drinking. But even a normal drinker would go. I've had a night like that where I never went home and I, I just carried on drinking and they, un, they accept it a little bit more with a gambling. If I sat around the table and I said, I earned all this money and I lost everything three times over, people will go, well, that's just, that's just madness. And it's not madness. It's an, it is an illness at the highest level. It's a compulsion and it's, it's, it's worrying. It's the problem is, is you become good at hiding. You know, like with drinking, you got to hide the bottles and all that. You, with gambling, you got to, you got to be a good liar. You got to be good. I mean, you ask any compulsive gambler, I mean, it's scary. You know, I used to tell lies, and I, I used to walk away, and I'd go, "How did I come up with that that quick?" Like scarily, do you know what I mean? It's like even now, my wife will say something to me, she go, and I'll go, "I'll just say this or that," and she'll like go, well, "Where'd you get that from?" How did you come up with yeah. that that quick? And it's like, but I was lucky because my wife was sort of the only one, is, is the only one who's ever understood me. And she she was like clever to it. If I lied, she wouldn't let that go. She would remember it like. And then if, if she asked me again something four months later and I said, sounds like, she'll go, well, you told me that. And she was quite, quite cute with it, like, with compulsive gamblers, if it was in the Olympics, we would definitely be representing mm, England. Definitely. That's the, that's the well, dangerous I, thing. I really learned a lot from reading about, well, the story that continues throughout the book on that theme. I, you just articulated it brilliantly. And, and I think it's so brilliant that you're making a TV show of the same nature because more needs to be said in that area and we we need to have more understanding of it. Do you think, like you were talking about a moment ago, saying, you know, you you were sat there the other day with your wife and you felt like, oh, a bit bored because everything's a bit more sort of level and and also you, you don't have that chance so much to suspend time like you would have maybe during a football match, but certainly during gambling or big drinking sessions. Do you think it's possible to have those experiences without latching onto an addiction? Oh, 100%. Have you found them for you? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, we went down to Weymouth the other week on holiday and I went, we was on the coast on the beach and I went in the sea and we were kicking around me and Freddie and Sienna and, Kate had the baby up further up on the beach and we're kicking around and for about 20, 30 minutes, it was brilliant. It was like amazing. And then went back and sat down and like, I, I, I literally just thought, what now? That's my worry. That's my worry. And then it's like, how am I going to be happy all the time? And, and that scares me, but that's life. That's everybody, you know, that's like, but, but with gambling, I had that all the time. I didn't have the happiness, but I had that the same. I had the same high, the high. That, just that high of what you know. It might be winning or losing, but I was comfortable in that pattern of either being up here or down here. I was, I've been comfortable with that for thirty six years. Now my life's trying to change around, and that's trying to get comfortable with other things. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, you know, I really want to think about the people that are listening to this that have experienced the same and will be nodding along. Or are experiencing, Or are experiencing the same exactly right now and are shit scared, you know, because there's so much fear that backs all of this, like how do I manage this? How do I, you know, what's my first step into recovery? I mean, obviously you went to rehab a couple of times and you had success and times of relapse during that. But what what is the first step? Is there one first step or does it have to be bespoke to the person who's dealing with the problem? I think it's the person, I think gambling is a lot different to anything else because that person out there who's listening to this, if they're a compulsive gambler, they'll probably have debt. And the first thing they've got to say is to bring themselves out to say to their partner, their boyfriend, their girlfriend, I owe a load of money. And that's the biggest problem. So the, the natural thing for a gambler to keep on doing is trying to keep on gambling the way out of it when there is a solution is to stop now. It's never going to get better. I got to the stage, I dread to think how many times where I won enough money to pay everybody back and couldn't. And that's, that's the problem is with is the debt that compulsive gamblers have and the fear of telling their boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, I, I'm a compulsive gambler and I've got a load of debt. And that debt could be anything, but it's better off telling that person that you owe that money. That's the most important thing to get over. You know, no one, no one comes into GA, no one stops gambling because they can't stop winning. They don't. I've never heard anybody come at the GA and go, you know what, my name's Paul, I'm a compulsive gambler, I can't stop winning, but you know what, I'm going to call it a day and give someone else a chance. That ain't the case. And the problem with the gambling is getting over that of telling the partner, because it's very secretive gambling, it's very secretive. Drinking's not secretive. You can hide drinking for so long, in the end it'll catch up. With the gambling... You just keep on trying to get yourself, lend more money to try and get out of trouble. And I think with someone listening now, that's probably the biggest hurdle for that person is telling someone, I I owe money, but they're better off doing that. Stop now. There's no, you cannot win. You can't win. It's impossible. You cannot win. For a compulsive gambler, it's impossible to win. And and bookmakers will make it difficult for you to win. Because if you start winning, they'll shut you down. Yeah. And that's fact. They will. They won't. They don't want winners. They want compulsive gamblers because compulsive gamblers will keep on going and going. And I mean, going. there needs to be more governance around that, surely, to, to stop people from falling into that trap. But do you think enough is being done to from the, you know, the companies that are that are creating infrastructures like this? Do you reckon are they doing enough to notice that someone's compulsively gambling versus having the odd bet? Uh, well, the rule was in 2005. You know, this is before these phones. I mean, these, these, these phones, are that's a, that's a casino. It's a casino in your pocket. I mean, you could be on the train 
and do all your money on the way home on the train. You know, that's the problem. It's a big meeting this year about the rule change. They have to change it. I, I done an inventory of my, of, of my gambling. So I had to go through it, write it all down. And then 2017, I had four, just under four months of gambling. I lost £135,000 and took out 10000 But within one day, I put that 10000 back in. So I lost 135000 I wrote to them and said, I think you let me down. I think you let me down. And they went through all their stuff and they went, no, we ticked the boxes. Now, their tick the box was to phone me and see if I was all right losing my money. Now, I'm a compulsive gambler. You know you're not going to go, oh, my, is it that much? I tell you what, yeah. call it a day. You're going to go, I'm 50-odd years of age. I'm 50 years of age. I know what I'm doing. They know that. I could go into any betting company, sit down and look for all their records, and I could tell you who's a compulsive gambler yeah. and who's not a compulsive gambler. I mean, there's thousands of bets for I mean, over four months, you could, it, it was like just constant. They, they know. And they just, their, one, their rule is in 2005 to tick the box is to phone someone up and ask if they're all right. All you've got to ask is for my bank statements. All my bank statements shows lend money, lend money. And all I'd done was just got into major debt through them just going, just keep on taking his money. And all they went, they just wrote, they just wrote back and went, done that. That element of... Um... Of, of self-punishment, which is really threaded through all of this, because, you know, you're betting to lose, you're betting even though you don't think you are at the time, perhaps, the compulsivity is I'm going to keep betting until there's nothing, and that element of self-punishment and then self-loathing. Is it essential that you find yourself in a place where you have either self-acceptance or you like yourself to fully move on from this? Do you have to be in a place where you go, you know what, I like myself, I deserve better than to keep putting myself through this? I think the easiest way of moving on and the best way is I accept that I'm ill. I'm ill. I'm not a bad person. I used to think I was a horrible, horrible person who's trying yeah. to get good, trying, always trying to get good, be good, be good. Now I accept that I wasn't well and I'm not well and I'm trying to get well and that's it. And I accept that now. When I did go back and gambled again, I didn't beat myself up. I didn't beat myself up in lockdown when I had a bad relapse over a year ago. I didn't beat myself up. You know, I thought, you know, I'm not well. Start again. And before I would have, I would have had, you know, thoughts of wanting to end it again. And, and I've had, I have had them. I mean, I wouldn't wish them on anybody in the whole world. It's just a horrible, horrible thing to have like them dark moments and, and want to end it when you've got, when you've got a, a brilliant life. I mean, it is a good life. I mean, and that, that, that's the worrying thing. It's a good life. And my brain, my addiction wants to destroy that every minute of the day. Virtually. Yeah. And I've talked about this quite a lot over the last year. You know, I don't think any of us are meant to cope brilliantly at the moment. We're living through just utter craziness and a bombardment of exterior fear and an ever-changing I'm going to use the word goalposts there because I'm <laughs> that just came to mind yeah. but relevant in many ways <laughs> but you know the, the posts keep moving and we keep getting told stuff and it doesn't happen and I think anybody that's dealt with past trauma or has a mental health issue or 
anything that could be triggered by exterior change, this is when it's going to happen. So it, it's it's a really good thing that you didn't beat yourself up during that and that, you know, that that's a huge marker of progress. And, and these journeys aren't linear, are, are they? We're not going to just be on an ascent to being fully healed. All, all recovery from addiction or any mental health situation is a bumpy road. And, you know, like you start at the, the very top of the book, you beautifully illustrate a moment where you saw your friend Tony Adams score a goal and he was newly sober and you describe it as the most perfect image of of recovery that you've ever seen. But you see your own recovery as a lot messier. And I I think that that's a brilliant thing that you're happy to, to talk about this and admit it, that it's not just, oh, and then I was cured and everything's fine. Like the importance and the richness comes from you explicitly talking about how rough it's been so that you connect with other people who are going through the same stuff oh it's it's hard you know that's the one thing i won't say it's easy i won't sit here and say this is it's not easy it's it's an addiction gambling is an addiction of i don't have to put anything in me you know if i want to go and get drunk today i've got to go and have a drink if i want to get high i've got to put something in me Gambling's there. I, I'm not putting anything in me. I'm not putting absolutely anything in me. And it is, uh, it, it, life's a hundred times better. I, I, you know, that's the most important thing. It is better. But I still have hard days, but that's the, that's life. That is just, as you said, we're not always going to be up here. You know, I've thrived just to be there and I'm there now. You know, it might just be like that a little bit, but before it was a Loch Ness Monster, it was, it was so up and down. It was, it was scary. And, and and Tony, when he went like that, if he could have stayed like that for an hour, he would have. Do you know what I mean? It was like, it was just serene. It was like you get their moments. It's living in, I mean, it's living in the moment. It's trying to be in the moment. I mean, so many people worry about yesterday and what they're going to do tomorrow and what they did yesterday. And, and they sort of, they, they piss on the day. The day just goes by. It just goes by. There's a sportsman, Michael Jordan, there's a programme out on, that I watched and it's called the last dance. He's a prime example of living in the moment. If someone, if you can live in the moment, watch Michael Jordan, it is in the I moment. I love that documentary. And it's, yeah. And it's, it's so like, he lives it in the moment. He's not worried about then or it's everything's there. And then that minute, that hour, that day, that's him. He's not like thinking what he's going to do in two weeks time or, you know, so many of us are like, I have a reading on the cupboard about yesterday and tomorrow. You know, they're gone. Yesterday's gone and tomorrow's not here. I mean, the one thing, it doesn't matter if you're the richest person in the world or the poorest person in the world. We have one thing in common. We, we, we get today. It's all we get. We get today. And it's whoever lives their day to the fullest is the it's richest. The most, it's the most important thing and we forget it. All day, every day we forget it. You know, I if I'm having a wobble, because I can easily project way into the future about the worst possible scenario and then it's ruined my day. Or I could waste a whole week panicking about something I did 10 years ago that no one else is thinking about, that I'm, you know, racked with like guilt or shame, whatever. And if in those moments I'm feeling pulled that way or or that way, I listened to uh, Eckhart Tolle's podcast because he, he wrote the book, The Power of Now. His whole ethos is that, is being like, this is the only thing that exists is now. And 
and that is the only way I can ground myself in those moments because it's hard to make peace with the past and it's impossible to find safety in the future. So you almost have to just let go of it, don't you? Just go, not going to deal with it. Exactly. exactly. You can't do anything about it. I mean, you can't, you, no one can turn back the past. It's impossible. And if anybody can tell me what's going to happen in the future, wow, well, fair play to them. I mean, that was a prime example of living in the moment for me was in Weymouth, like on the beach, in the water with the kids kicking and running in and out of the water. That, that was the moment. And then as soon as I go and sit back down again, I fall, fall flying out the moment. It was like, it was like there and then bang, like there again. It was like priceless, that was. And I don't get, I don't get, I'm, I don't get too many of them moments, if I'm being honest, them in the moment. Even though I live a day at a time, some days is just getting through the day, you know, because I know if long as I keep it good today and I don't do what I usually do and what I've done naturally for the last 36 years in drinking or gambling, I know as time goes on every day, life, and it will become better. It will become better. But I have to make sure I get put all them good days together because I can, I can blow it like that. Honestly, I can be destructive as ever. If, if if I let my addiction take over. How important is it to look back into the past, the moments where you have been super strong and and resilient and work through stuff? Because you talk about a period when you were at Aston Villa and you were sober, you were playing the best you've ever played. Um, your sobriety was really, you know, at the forefront of your mind and, and you had like one drink in four years, I think you said in the book. Is it important to look back and remember that that's absolutely possible for you to do that? No, it petrifies me. Yeah, because I know how happy I was and I still went back again. So I just try and keep it in the day and try not to. Yeah, I do because I've been like like that and then all of a sudden I'm back in it a hundred times worse before and it petrifies me. So I just try and keep it in the day. Yeah, I think that's very important to say that. And I didn't know what your answer would be. And I Again, I'm learning. I'm learning so much about all of this, and it's it's very, very important. Yeah, I think if I keep on thinking about how the great it was, how great I still went back again. So it does. It that that petrifies me. I just don't think I've heard these conversations enough, and the thought processes, and also, you know, you say at the end of the book, you're the happiest you've ever been now, but it's because of all of the hard work you're putting in every day. You know what? That was the, the yeah, but that was the. Because the book was done on a day thing, you know, it was like when he said that, when I went at the end of the book, I said that, and I was, and I am today. But there's been days in between writing the book that I haven't been. Do you know what I mean? And it's just like living in the day. I know not every day is going to be great. I just know it ain't. I just, I accept that. It's just the way life is and there's bumps in the road, but it's, it's better. The biggest thing that I have to get across, it's a hundred times better a hundred, hundred times better of laying in bed, trying to think of what, how am I going to get money? Who am I going to ring up to get money to lend me money so I can gamble again? And then I have to pay them back. And When I pay them back, can I go? And it's just, my head was like a washing machine and my self-respect, everything goes out the window. It's horrible. You're, ring, you're asking people for money that have earned not even a fraction of what I earn. And you're not begging them for money, but, lying for money and it's a horrible feeling then you put the phone down you've got the money and you have the bet and then you forgot all about it again and it's you just become norm to being 
to feel the way you do, you know, that you're not a nice person. So I might as well just keep on doing it. You know, the one thing I have learned over time, and I have this is a good trait of mine, I, I don't really care too much what people think of me. Do you know what I mean? I don't, it's, you know, people talk behind my back. It's not really any of my business. It's their business, not mine. Sometimes I can go on Instagram and someone will go on a bad day. Oh, you're this and that and that. And I sort of, for that 20 seconds or so, I could think, I could hear my addiction go, yeah, you are. But then after that, I know they're just a keyboard warrior. I shouldn't even be reading it, really. I shouldn't. And I shouldn't. I don't know why I go on it. We all do it. yeah, it's not. It's like a bit of an addiction. Yeah, it is. Of going on that and finding out. Yeah, it is. It's, it's self-torture. But I've I've been used to that. That's been thirty-six years of that. Thirty-six years. Lose all my money. Feel the way I do. Get it back. Lose it all again. Get it back. Lose it. It's just self. I've I've been used to all that. So sometimes it it feeds it feeds my another addiction of mine of probably of not liking not liking myself. But I do I do like myself now. I do, I, but I accept myself as an ill person, not as a bad person. Yeah, like like we said at the start of this conversation, it's the bit that jumped out at me in the book as highly important that anybody going through something that is not working for them or that is destructive to differentiate an illness versus I'm a bad person. Because I've certainly been in, in those moments where I've been either having panic attacks or when I had a big period of depression and I've thought, what is wrong with me? I must be just such a selfish, awful person to not be appreciative or to not be coping with with what I've got in life or whatever. And it's noticing the moments where you're not very well versus just beating yourself up over something that feels very out of your control at the time. It's a very important section of the book. Yeah, and it is hard because, you know, you've got to think when you're like, people are going to go, how dare she be like that? She has everything. She has the world at her feet. She's happily married. She, she, she's on the TV. She has a great... If I had that life, I, how, I wouldn't be like that if I had that life. That's the thing I was scared of when I come out and done the book is you're going to get people go, oh, look at him. He was just greedy. greedy. If I had all that money, I wouldn't have done that. No, it's nothing to do with the money. It's nothing to be if you're famous or you're happily married. And that was my biggest fear when I was like 93, when I was driving to work and wanted to pull it in front of lorries mental health work like it is now you know people understand <clears throat> i think a lot of that goes goes to ceos and directors and chairmen of big companies i think that's so important i think there's always someone it don't matter how high you're up they know someone and i think it's the acceptance now then when i was doing that if i honestly thought that i'd have been locked away people would have gone how dare you like you play for England, you play football, you know, you've got the best job in the world and you want to do that, you weak piece of shit, this and that. And that would have just drove me even more over the thing. It's like, you know, I like Piers Morgan. I mean, I respect for what he's done in his career and everything. And But it's mind-blowing when someone says something and he says, oh, they're lying. You can't say that. You can't, that's someone's life. You cannot say that. You, you don't know what that person's like. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. Not everybody's strong, but it, strong. Should we say strong? I mean, he got up and walked out when, when the man was saying to him. I mean, everybody's different. And when he done that, I cringed. I was like, please don't say that about Meghan Markle because you, you don't know. 
You Nobody know. knows what's Nobody going on in knows. anyone's head. This is like it's literally that's the base level, isn't it? No one knows what's going on no in anyone's one. head, and and a so lot no of the time, no one should. This is it. If there, if there's no and it's and it's often the people who the people that have the judgment are the people that are quickest to judge themselves weirdly they haven't found that their own self-acceptance or peace or whatever so they're quick to judge others but we can't progress if we're all sat there still judging each other we have to listen and 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 learn we don't have to have empathy and compassion all those things but it would help but we we live in a, we live in a society now with with instant with all these like instagram and twitters and all that all they do is Judgment. Sit behind and 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 and, and kill yeah. people. Like they do no, near on yeah. kill people. And I'm not, I, I will go as far as saying near on kill people, and and yeah. they will one day. You know, we've seen it before. You know, poor girl who, who committed suicide. You know, I wear the top. Oh, one Caroline. Thing. Yeah, Caroline Flack. Yeah. You know, she look. She takes her own life, and look, look what happens. And then everybody comes out, and everybody goes right. Everybody be kind now. You know, I have. I even have the sweat. I wear it with pride. If there's one thing you can be, be kind. And and then all of a sudden it goes for a week and then everybody's back, back to I just know. slaughtering people it's again. It's like, it is, it is it's bordering on disgraceful. Mm. It is bordering on disgraceful. I mean, and this is the problem. It's like we have mental health week. Week. Yeah. What does it go away after a week? There should be an advert on between Coronation Street every night yeah. of the week. There's yeah. the most watched programme in the country, Coronation Street, every day. Every night there should be an advert in between that on mental health. Yeah. Just to keep on triggering people, just to keep on reminding people about people, you know, but it's not, it's just too easy. Oh, that's gone now. Right. Let's move, move on. on. We'll hammer thing. the next person. No, you're it's, absolutely right. And it's, it's relentless. It's relentless. Especially at the moment, because like, like we've talked about, nobody's coping particularly well. You know, I can only talk from my own circle of friends and what I see from people interacting with me online, but most people are finding this weird time very very challenging and even if they weren't dealing with mental health issues they certainly are experiencing anxiety for the first time um maybe it's catastrophizing whatever it might be and it does need to be a daily conversation and we certainly need to be kinder and we certainly need more compassion and and that's why I I loved reading your book because I just learned so much from it and I think compassion is perhaps cultivated through understanding when you've got a true understanding of something you can go oh i see i, I feel i get it i understand it i, I you know I, I want to learn more and i'm i'm desperate to learn more about all of it and it's such a brilliant book and i'm sure it wasn't easy to write and i'm sure it's not easy talking about it now you, you've got to do the press for it you've got to go out and say all the stuff that you've talked about i'm sure that's not easy and i hope that you feel all right talking about it but that is i i'm doing it for one that one person the one but if one person doesn't have to go through what i've been through in life it'd be amazing i mean i have a tattoo on my arm i mean I, and i had to have it because it means so much it's, don't judge me until you've walked a mile in my shoes. I think it's the best saying in the world. People, people judge me. They don't even know me. They've never met me. I mean, I mean, I've met, I've been in the company of a lad twice that I've met, Robbie Savage. I'm, I've been in his company twice. One of the nicest blokes I've ever met. I don't know him. I don't know him. I've been in his company twice, and he's such a nice bloke. Everybody I meet go. Oh, you see that Robbie Savage? What a sound so. Oh, what an idiot. What a sound. Have you met him? No, I haven't met him, but look at him. And I go, he's one of the nicest blokes I've met. And he's a prime example of people judging people. People don't know people and they just judge them. And I think 
Until you walk a mile in someone's shoes, don't judge them. You don't know what they're going through. And I think that's a prime example. I don't know anybody. I, I, I couldn't talk Isle enough for the lad. I don't know him. I, I, I've met him twice. You know, we're not friends or I'm not, he's not in my phone book. I'm not in his. But I always stick up for him because he's a prime example of what people say. And I've met him and he's one of the nicest blokes I've met. And that's why I have the tattoo. Don't judge me until you've walked a mile in my shoes, because that's that's what everybody does. Just yeah. judge people and it's, all the time. It's, it's been normalised, and that and that's the terrifying thing that it's so normal to do it now. Yeah, it's... but you get people. People will be out, and when they're saying that, people nod and they go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah. You, but you, you never no. met them, so they're feeding that person instead of going. If you met him, and they go, "No," you go, "Well, don't yeah. judge him." You've never met him before in your life. Don't judge I know. someone. It's um. It's wildly normal, and that is very, very scary. But, but look, I've, you know, thank you for for talking about it. But and and I really do, I really appreciate you talking about it because you know I I talk about a lot of stuff to do with mental health, and some days you don't fancy it, and it feels really exposing and and hard to talk about it. But I really appreciate it because I, for one, have learned a load of stuff about, especially the gambling element. You know, I, I understand a bit about addiction already because of. You know, my husband who I live with and I've got other friends who have battled with certain addictions but the gambling I didn't understand and I, and I really appreciate your your storytelling and how much you've been willing to give to help other people it's a brilliant brilliant thing you've done so thank you and, and thank you so much for talking today to us oh, thank you for having me and pleasure to meet you as well thank you Oh, Paul, you lovely man. What a privilege to talk to you at such an honest level. I am forever grateful that I get to have these sorts of conversations and I really can't thank Paul enough for speaking so sincerely about the nature of addiction. As I've said a number of times now, hearing Paul's story has just really made me understand something that I didn't before. So thank you, Paul. I really urge you to read Paul's book. It's bloody brilliant. What we had time to talk about today literally only scratches the surface. There's so much unflinching detail about those highs and lows he was referring to in there. It's called Hooked, Addiction and the Long Road to Recovery and it's out right now. Someone else who talked very candidly on this podcast about addiction was Royal Blood's Mike Kerr. Oh, it's such a good episode. That episode and many more episodes are available for you to listen to whenever you like. Thank you again so much to Paul, to the producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, and to you lovely lot, I love you. Thank you for listening, and I will see you soon. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.